Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 79. Brace yourself for a long off-season. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code LETSTALKXFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Last episode, I mentioned a survey. I am still putting together the survey and should have it available soon. Your feedback would be appreciated. During the 2023 season, there were several topics which I did not address or devote significant time and discussion to. Seeing we are in a lengthy off-season, Now is the appropriate time to do so. As per usual, this week we have some league developments to discuss. In addition, XFL board writer Greg Parks returns to discuss his recent article on the XFL broadcast ratings for its 2023 season and more. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On May 22nd, the XFL announced it would host its historically black colleges and universities showcase at Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia, on Saturday, June 17th. This showcase will be open exclusively to players from HBCUs. Registration for the showcase is now open, yet attendance is by invitation only. On May 23rd, the XFL announced a series of player showcases across the United States. In addition to the HBCU showcase at Clark Atlanta University on June 17th, the following showcases have been added. Atlanta at Georgia State on Sunday, June 18th. St. Louis at Missouri Baptist University on Friday, July 7th. Washington, D.C. at the University of Maryland on Sunday, July 9th. Houston at the Village School on Friday, July 14th. And Arizona at the University of Arizona on Sunday, July 16th. Players will be evaluated based on performance for inclusion in the XFL draft player pool for the upcoming 2024 season. Top players will be invited to the XFL Combine, which will be held on July 25th through the 27th at Choctaw Stadium in Arlington, Texas. For interested players, visit showcases.xfl.com to register. On May 24th, Tulane University announced the hiring of Houston Roughneck Special Teams Coordinator Greg McMahon. He will serve in the same role for the Green Wave. On May 29th, former XFL kicker and league partner Nick Novak announced on his social media accounts a second annual specialist showcase. The event is scheduled for Sunday, October 22nd. According to Nick's post, spots are limited and registration begins on Thursday, June 1st. On May 30th, rumors and reports service a vast XFL turnover at the league and team levels. Per a contact of mine, the majority of these were due to the end of six-month contracts that were not being renewed. In addition, XFL News Hub's Mark Perry first reported the league terminated Chief Marketing and Content Officer Janet Duke and Vice President of Marketing Anthony Zaccone. Perry's article also included the following statement from the XFL. The XFL's first season was a success with strong growth metrics seen across fan engagement, viewership, and revenue channels. As the XFL plans for 2024 and beyond, it has decided to transition into a dual full-time and seasonal-based employment model to improve efficiency and drive sustainable business performance across all markets, given the seasonal nature of the business. The XFL will continue to employ full-time business and football operation functions on both the league and team levels and will scale up hiring each year for preseason and in-season roles. Since these reports, notable news outlets have also reported on the matter. To mention a few, NBC's Pro Football Talk, and Yahoo Sports. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by XFL board writer Greg Parks to discuss his article on the XFL broadcast ratings for the 2023 season and more. Welcome back, Greg. 
Once again, I appreciate you taking the time to return to the show and discuss your recent piece on the XFL broadcasting ratings for its 2023 season and perhaps a bit more. Yeah, happy to be here, Mike. I appreciate you giving me the time to talk about that piece. Uh, took a while to write, took a while to research. Uh, as I said in my opening line, it's not my favorite subject to write about. Uh, if you follow my work on XFL board, you know that I'm much more interested in what goes on on the field and the scouting of players for the league and things like that, which I'll have coming up uh, here in the next few weeks with the rookie draft coming up as well. I'll have a few pieces on that. But ultimately, the ratings are important to the league's future, uh, to the league's financial success or, or lack thereof, really. So I felt the I felt compelled to write something about the subject. Well, of course, we're going to dive into it, but it's been a while. I think it was like mm-hmm. January, I think, when we last had you on the show. So we had a It was definitely season. before the season. Oh, we had a whole season. It's kind of hard to believe that we <laughs> actually squeezed an entire season in. And I'm surprised I hadn't reached out sooner. But, you know, that's that's my bad. And, I'm you know, if the listeners are wondering, that's me. I had not reached out this season <laughs> to Craig until this piece. But nonetheless, you dropped your XFL Broadcasting Ratings article back on, what, May 19th, which is not that long ago. Of all the pieces and takes that I have seen regarding the 2023 XFL season's broadcasting rights, I believe yours is the most on point. And I'm not just trying to put you up on a pedestal here. Just there's been so much talk about it. So I have repeatedly stated that the landscape has significantly changed. It continues to change at this very moment. Those trying to enlighten people with their view on those ratings seem to have nothing more than a guess or maybe projecting their own bias or, or hopes, maybe. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to encompass a lot of things here, so I'm not trying to target too much. Whether it be good or bad for the league, their partner, the Walt Disney Company. So I know, as you have said, this is a touchy subject for alternative football fans, but it is of significance and the interest is very high due to everything they have been told and its importance. Like you have just recently stated about the potential impact of the XFL's future or any other league that's in competition. As I had stated in our lead up, I'll give it to you. Seeing this conversation is about your article. Where would you like to begin this discussion? Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Um, as I said, it, the, the branches, I mean, I could have gone on probably for another thousand words. I mean, the branches out of this discussion are so numerous, you know, Um, and I think that's what makes it difficult for me as someone on the outside, you know, not affiliated with the league, not affiliated with ESPN, to try to read the tea leaves and figure out whether the ratings were good or bad. And spoiler alert, you can't tell. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You know, there were some positive signs in terms of, you know, if you were comparing the numbers on ESPN2 and FX, which I brought up in my article, to the average primetime numbers from 2022 for those networks, the XFL was above that, uh, which is a good sign, much better than being below. But in order to invest a significant amount of money into the XFL, I don't think ESPN is looking at it and saying, we just want you to beat the primetime average. You know, what is their number that they have in mind? You have to beat it by this much, you know, and, and we don't know that. And there's just and I think that's the main point of my article is all these people out here. And I've been asked multiple times uh, in interviews and on social media, are these ratings good week to week? Are these ratings good? What do these ratings mean? And, and the bottom line is there, there's no easy answer. There's too much that we don't know. And, and I brought up the two big things that we don't know is we don't know the internal expectations from ESPN and the XFL about where they wanted the ratings to be. Uh, Because these could look good or bad to us, but depending upon where ESPN and the XFL set their expectations, that's going to determine ultimately the most important good or bad, (laughs) because they're the ones who are investing the money into this project. And the second big piece of the puzzle that we don't know is the ESPN Plus viewership numbers. That is proprietary information that ESPN does not release. Um, They don't release it for the XFL. They don't release it for any. I tried searching online of 
ESPN Plus uh, ratings for for specific games and for specific programs that have aired there. They just don't release that. That's their MO. And, and really, we don't even have a really good guess as to how many uh, people watch that. It could be a significant number that when you look at the XFL viewership on ESPN or ESPN2, if you add, let's just say, 100,000 viewers on top of that, all of a sudden those ratings go from good to really good. <laughs> and, and so that changes the equation. That changes how we analyze it. And so when I say we're missing a big piece or a potentially big piece of that puzzle, that's a, a pretty significant factor. So we're kind of flying blind here in that we have information, but it's really not enough information for us to ultimately determine whether or not the XFL was a success. It's a success in that it's coming back, right? If it was really bad, ESPN could have conceivably pulled the plug after one year, like that total bottom basement dweller type numbers. Okay. So it wasn't that, but um, other than that, we, it, it's really hard to say. Well, yeah, I think it would really depend on that contract, right? That five-year agreement. That, I mean, it's all in the fine print of any deal mm-hmm. and none of us have that contract in front of us. So again, it's kind of a, a guess, right? So yeah. it's, could they have? Well, we've seen other networks do the same thing with the, let's take a look at the initial XFL that happened in 2001, where NBC was not going to put money moving forward. didn't matter if they're on mm-hmm. a 50, 50 split or not at that point. So we know that all agreements are not ironclad, like guaranteed to five years. I think a lot of us like to believe that it is and that the league would have written or would have only agreed to a more <laughs> beneficial contract for themselves and potentially giving that out. But I also don't think they had a lot of choices. So I wouldn't be surprised if Walt Disney company definitely made sure they had their out if they needed it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just trying to be fair. But so as I've mentioned, the landscape continues to evolve. You know, the notion of the mainstream television, whether it's that free national broadcast that we see on ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC. You know, I don't know who else is all in that realm of free broadcast that would be ideal, maybe the CW or whoever. Then on the other hand, we have the cable television. Like in this case for sports, we'd have CBS, Sports Network, ESPN, FS1, etc. Right? There's a bunch of them. It is only networks that can support the XFL that seem to have been proven wrong-ish, right? Because we keep having these people, you know, hey, these are good numbers, right? From what we are hearing from these networks these days, it appears their primary concern or focus is on improving viewership during failing time slots. But do we know what failing time slots are and what all those numbers are? Like you've tried to do that research. You know, so it's not necessarily against similar content. Heck, we just saw the Disney company or the Walt Disney company bring FX into the fold, right? So we know it wasn't necessarily, they didn't, weren't concerned about similar content, just they're comparing their content wherever they can. So they're making a transition. So we don't even know if those numbers really mattered. I mean, and I, they're always a something of significance, right? There's a number like, oh, that's, that's really bad. Well, from what we're hearing out of the Walt Disney Company is, we're pleased. We're hearing out of the XFLs, they're pleased. Now, that could just be, you know, good PR on both sides, right? I mean, it could be nothing more than no one wants to come out and say it was terrible, mm-hmm. you know, unless we're pulling the plug and it's that obvious. But if there's a transition where FX is going to take on maybe more of this down the line, maybe those numbers didn't matter that. I, I'm just, again, going on a limb. This is a whole lot of speculation. Anybody could kind of, right, draw their own conclusions. So, I mean, when we kind of look at that, now we see streaming apps, right? You've mentioned ESPN Plus. We don't have those numbers. Are becoming a major player for all these networks. More content's being added every year on this type of platform. Aside from XFL games on ABC, I watched games via ESPN Plus exclusively. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen in Facebook groups and on my Twitter uh, you know, feed, and not only one of those primary platforms was not included in broadcast ratings, as we have just mentioned, 
I'm not the only one. Right. There are multiple people I'm seeing that say, now we, again, don't have the number. We can speculate all day long. So neither of us work for Walt Disney Company or the XFL. As we have our own thoughts and opinions on the, the conversation, the discussion around this, right? For 2024 and the future. The reason why I'm kind of painting this whole picture is because I did send you something that I wanted to talk and you're willing to discuss it. And I know this wasn't in your piece. So the Wall Street Journal back on May 18th released an article by Jessica uh, Tunkel, which we've learned that ESPN's plan in the coming years is to shift content to a subscription streaming services, not cable television exclusively which in this case is ESPN plus. And the reason why I think this is important to acknowledge those discussions that are underway, according to the wall street journal with other leagues that have contracts with ESPN or ABC, whatever it may be, it seems to be the way of the future more and more. We've seen that, Mm -hmm. but this really looks to be ESPN are going to shift these type of contracts, these type of shows and, live events to this. I have a feeling without knowing the numbers, the numbers on ESPN plus are much better than we probably want to give it credit for, or we mm-hmm. could even fathom. I'm not trying to act like it's a million folks. No, I'm not. I'm not of some crazy mind, but it's gotta be better than just some average streaming app out there. So that being said, what do you anticipate this impacting what we see potentially 2024? Yeah, 2024 and 2024 and beyond, right? Because the XFL's contract, if we're to believe their side of it, is five years. And cable TV and streaming could look significantly different in five years to the point where you know ES, uh, XFL games may be exclusively airing on ESPN Plus by the end of this contract. So I think that was part of the discussion when ESPN and the XFL got together is the future of streaming, what role the XFL is going to play in ESPN streaming service moving forward. I think with this ownership, Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson and Redbird Capital, I think they are maybe not ahead of the curve, but they're right with it when it comes to broadcasting and things like that. I think they are pretty aware of where the future lies there. uh, And partnering with ESPN that has a pretty good streaming service in ESPN plus. And again, we don't know how many bidders there were for the XFL. Like you said, it may have just been ESPN and the XFL just may have had to kind of take what they got. But if that's the case, you know, they got a pretty good partner in terms of streaming and things like that. So for, for ESPN to, well, they didn't release this information. I think this was the wall street journal kind of doing some research and and finding this and, and breaking the news. But like you said, ESPN has to be pretty pleased with the numbers on ESPN Plus, or they would not be planning for this. Uh, so that could mean the XFL's numbers were pretty good on ESPN Plus. The only thing we do know for sure is what was released in ESPN's press release, uh, I think earlier this past week or, or last week, which was that the championship game was their highest viewership number on ESPN Plus, which is always a good thing, right? You want uh, those numbers to build throughout the year. You don't want the the biggest number to be the first week. So that's a good sign for the XFL, good sign for ESPN Plus, things like that. But yeah, I think the broader message here with this story in the Wall Street Journal is cable is continuing to change. The one thing you could always count on is live sports was a draw on cable. And that's what ballooned sports rights fees is uh, everything else was down, live sports was up or stayed the same. And it was sort of immune to cord cutting. The numbers were still really good, even in the era of cord cutting. So the ESPNs, the NBCs, the Foxes were willing to spend a pretty penny for prestige live sports, the NBA, NHL, MLB, NFL, NASCAR, not necessarily the secondary, you know, like uh, the XFL or the USFL or anything like that. But um, this step of the movement of even live sports. And really, if you're ESPN or, you know, that, that sports rights bubble, you know, the, the, the sports organizations kind of have you over a barrel 
because NBA and NFL know that you need them to have any kind of decent cable ratings so that you can uh, get carriage fees from the Time Warners and the DirecTVs and the Dish Networks and, and to draw ad ratings. They know that they need you so they can you know, ask for billions of dollars. So if you're ESPN, maybe that move to streaming is meant to stem the tide of those rising rights fees. I don't know if that's a part of it, but certainly ESPN, and, and I'm sure there are others who are you know, NBC with Peacock and things like that, they may have similar ideas in the future of, of eventually moving a lot of things to streaming on a permanent basis. And I just want to be fair with this article that I, you know, we brought up, and I know probably a lot of people have not seen it. And if they, if they haven't, go ahead and read it. It doesn't say two years. It doesn't say three years, four years, five years. So we, we don't know what that in years means, right? We can only speculate. And the only reason why I feel like we can bring the XFL into this discussion of that shift, because I'm not saying that everything is going to make the shift initially, even when they decide to have that subscription platform like they do in ESPN Plus and shift more content there. But the reason why I feel like the XFL would be is because of how they did it this year for 2023. We know they were on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, FX, but yet every single game was streamed on ESPN Plus in addition. So it did not like, okay, it's only going to be one game of the week or two games. It was every single game. Didn't matter if it was a championship. Didn't matter if it was week one, week five, week 10, every single game. In addition to that, we know that they had the player 54 the, chasing the dream, the XFL dream, right? Or That also played on the ESPN networks, I believe it was ESPN2, but was also available on ESPN+. Plus. So anything they did for content-wise was available on ESPN+, mm-hmm. Plus, which just leads me, or probably anybody else that's with an open mind, it really looks like the XFL would be one of those pieces that would make that transition completely if it were to be. The cost is low enough, and if they're going to potentially start segueing away, you probably can't convince the NBA to leave ESPN's main cable thing. It's probably ironclad in their contract. But a league like the XFL, like you said, we don't have that contract. I think they were probably a little bit more willing to give that, that Petri disc of a season that we just saw. Now, I'm also kind of intrigued by this because you and I, back when we were, I think, initially talking about some of this contract uh, uh, broadcasting deal here, we got talking about appointment television, which the National Football League is king of. You know, every Sunday it's at the one o'clock game, the four o'clock game. Heck, you know, Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football. We didn't have that in 2023 with the XFL. We were a little bit all over the place, whether we had yeah. a Friday night games, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night games. Even time slots were all over the place on the days that were common, Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday. Do you think the experiment continues in 2024? Let's even say that not obviously things are not completely shifted to ESPN+. Plus. Do you think the experiment continues? Because we know they have a lot of other content or other deals you know you mentioned in your article right they got things locked in the nba all the college basketball was the women's march madness term so many things do you think it's still gonna be an experiment are they still in that back burner so much that they're gonna be shifted all over the place or do you think maybe we see if the the streaming could likely have been a good enough test this year that more gets shipped to there so they can get better time slots that we can bank on as far as viewers. I think for a league in its second year, you still want to get as many eyeballs on the product as you can. And right now that is still the streaming and uh, ESPN slash FX slash ESPN two slash ABC. Um, I think down the line, if you're comfortable enough with where you are financially, if you're comfortable enough with your viewership and you're not, you know, you're always trying to reach more viewers, but depending on the cable landscape, at some point the XFL might comfortable might be comfortable, and ESPN might be comfortable enough to sending it to ESPN Plus exclusive games, or maybe just one or two a year at least to start, or anything like that. You know, I, I my hope is that it becomes more of that what you call appointment television, where fans know that 
at a certain day and a certain time, they can tune in to find an XFL game on a certain channel. Like you said, we didn't have that this year. I brought up in my article just the number of different days and times and networks uh, that, that they were on. And it's really astounding that they drew the ratings they did when it was so hard to find, even for uh, hardcore fans uh, to remember what days and times they were on. You know, part of me wonders how big of a role the late scheduling played into that with Vegas and, and not really knowing ESPN couldn't really set their schedule um, as far as XFL games. So by the time Vegas was locked in and the stadium was locked in, the XFL kind of had to take what was left, I think, on ESPN. And as you mentioned, and as I mentioned in the article is, you know, the XFL is not going to bump an NBA game in terms of prime ABC or ESPN time slots. You know, NBA is going to get the priority and they should. Um, They draw the ratings for the networks and the networks are spending that much money on them more so than the XFL. So ideally you would have uh, better time slots and, and better times and more consistent time slots and times, but there's, there's a lot in play. The good news for the XFL is they should be able to set the schedule a lot earlier this year, knowing where they're going to be playing. And hopefully that will help ESPN, ABC and its affiliated networks carve out more consistent times. But again, you're still working against the NBA you're working against the NCAA women's basketball tournament once it gets into March Madness. So you still kind of have to take what's left in some regards. Hopefully, if nothing else, there's more games on ABC, fewer games on FX. Even if the time slots aren't as fixed, maybe you know the, the consolation is more games on ABC or more games on ESPN. I think XFL fans would be amenable to that. Um, and, and realistically, even fixed time slots and times doesn't guarantee better viewership. I think one of the things that even XFL fans had to admit is that the USFL really improved their schedule making in season two in terms of giving the league more NBC games, more Fox games, better times. And that doesn't appear to have significantly positively affected the viewership numbers for the USFL in season two. So I don't want fans thinking that this is some kind of cure-all that's going to you know, make the league even more of a success than it was. The league is still going to have to work, still improve that marketing budget, and still get word out there that, hey, this is a league worth tuning into. So what I find a little bit interesting, you were just mentioning how maybe shifting more games from FX over to ABC, obviously, who wouldn't want to be on the big network, the one that all the eyes are? But when I look at your article because i know a bunch of other people were putting out the ratings but i never put them together i never had it just streamlined in a way that i could just look week after week or by network so you did a great job at it kudos i mean i think anyone that reads your article will be pleased that it's very easily accessible by the network the way you did that Mm -hmm. but what i was really shocked at and you know it's not that i didn't kind of have an idea of it before but really just seeing it the way that you had put it together is that I think FX did a little bit better than I anticipated. And I know here we are getting into what our interpretation is here. So my apologies. I mean, we're going to get into that. But the reason why I say that is comparing it to ESPN2, which is you know more of a known sports entity established on that front. And anyone that would be looking for it to be on a network would be more satisfied would be on ESPN2 than, say, FX. but pretty comparable in my opinion the numbers were close enough knowing that i just wonder yes we'd love to see more stuff away from fx and maybe on abc but i wonder if that was enough of a starting point where now between the walt disney company and the xfl if they're like you know we can build upon that now that it's known that it's been there we kind of put the league on there we can give you the time slots that you want your games at because we have a little bit more flexibility with FX versus the other networks that we have locked in with college sports or the you know <laughs> NBA or whatever else they have. I am somewhat fearful that FX actually gets a few more games. I'm not saying I know anything because I clearly do not, but when I look at it that way, I'm like, wow, I was really shocked that it was within, what was it? I don't have it right in front of me, but it might've been what 40 
thousand viewers on average compared to ESPN two. I mean, yeah, we would all love them to have them on ESPN or more so on ABC. But I mean, what what are your thoughts? I know I'm, this is not in your article, but I'm just kind of touching on based on the numbers that you put together, and it mm-hmm. it had me thinking this. Yeah. Well, I think it's all dependent upon what ESPN and ABC want FX to be. You know, we had heard rumblings that they wanted to turn FX into another dumping ground of sorts for sports that ESPN has. And so when the XFL was on there, it was thought that, okay, this is going to be the start of FX becoming more of a sports-centered network. We haven't really seen that, I don't think. We haven't seen ESPN put a lot of other sports on FX other than the XFL. So I think if if that started to happen, if you saw some more college games go to FX, if you saw some more, you know, certainly not NBA, again, not those prestige uh, ones that the ESPN is paying billions of dollars for, but if you started seeing some of those lower tier sports being moved to FX, then I think you could make the argument that, hey, you know, XFL is sort of like the leader in the um the move to FX and the, the attempt to make FX more of a sports center network. But again, we haven't really seen that. We still don't really know for sure what ABC's plans are for FX. Um, if it comes next year and the XFL is still the only real sports property on FX, I'm not sure that's a win, you know, um, because it does stand out like a sore thumb. And the other thing too, that's I think an under discussed aspect of this is when you are the XFL and you are trying to, get into the consciousness of the sports fan to remind fans, Hey, we're out there. We're back. You know, we still exist, believe it or not. When you go into a sports bar, they, what do they have on TV? They've got ESPN. They've got ESPN too. Sometimes they've got ABC if there's sports on there, right? The thing that they don't turn to is FX. So if you want the public at large to encounter the XFL, to draw more eyes to it, even outside the home. If you just want to raise that awareness profile of the XFL, putting games on FX isn't really going to do that. It's still not a destination for sports fans. Uh, so, and it's not a destination for sports fans at sports bars or restaurants, you know? So put it on ESPN, put it on ESPN two in primetime. That's where those kind of fans are going to encounter the XFL. It's not putting it on FX because they're not turning it on FX on these sports bars. That's an excellent point. Anybody that's and this is essentially a startup. I mean, I know we've got mm-hmm. one year in, but I mean, it, there's nothing locked in that you're now a staple of a league mm-hmm. or an entity moving forward. So, I mean, that is a valid point. I mean, we can look at a, mil- a million different ways, but we got to always remember you're still trying to gain a foothold here and have yourself be relevant in five, 10 years. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's with all this other stuff, it just always seems like, well, man, you can see evidence pointing one way that doesn't guarantee anything. But, man, it just, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see it all on ABC. I'm just also fearful of those bigger rights deals that the Walt Disney Company has already mm-hmm. paid for all those other entities that we know they're not going to beat out. So, yeah, you're probably not going to have that ideal schedule you want. Unfortunately, the only way you're going to get that is if you took the backseat on some of these other networks. And maybe that's why they're going to be on four different networks and a streaming platform moving forward to offer better time slots when they absolutely would need them and they just can't have them on another one. So I think we're going to have to be more open-minded for another season than, you know, I know everyone's complaining. A lot of DC games were just left on Sundays. And I know a lot of mm-hmm. the, the Defenders fans are complaining about that, but some of that wasn't necessarily broadcast. I think from what I had heard from some of the close to the league has stated that there was issues with the, the transit authority in the DMV area, and they actually didn't care to have games uh, at other times. So that's why Sundays at a particular time, it was less than ideal, but you know, maybe that can be worked out again. Mm-hmm. As you establish yourself, you now build rapport with people. You're not just a fly by night, which a lot of these leagues have been, and that has been at the detriment of any of these leagues getting started, whether it was you know, the AAF, the XFL, and either of its iterations. And, you know, for the USFL, they're fortunate that they're owned by a network that kind of can control yeah. some of that stuff. And, you know, being in a hub, as much as people want to m- mock that, 
they kind of controlled their own destiny with that. What teams they wanted to play at what times they could just control it out of that stadium or now in a couple of stadiums that they're at. So, I mean, just again, we have to be a little bit more or continue to be open-minded is, you know, viewers as fans, it's, there's no silver bullet in the words of, you know, former president Barack Obama, you say there's no silver bullet here. There's to fix anything, you know, or whatever. So yeah. I, ho- I hope I got that reference, right. Or that, that I hope I didn't butcher it folks. Let me know if I did, but Hey, I deserve it. <laughs> but you know, is there anything else regarding your article regarding these ratings? I know it's not a topic you want to discuss probably any more than you absolutely have to. Is there anything else that we didn't kind of touch on that you think is pretty important? That if somebody hasn't read the article yet, that you want to kind of make sure that they are aware of. Well, I'll tell you what surprised me perhaps the most is, uh, and I wrote about this toward the end of the article, is uh, I, I started looking at the USFL viewership numbers week nine of the XFL week 10 when they started to really intersect. And what really surprised me is how well the XFL did in 18 to 49 viewership compared to USFL games. I think there was one game that I wrote about where the USFL outdrew three XFL games in total viewers, but those three games for the XFL all outdrew the USFL in 18 to 49. Um, And there was one game, I think that the USFL outdrew the XFL by 300,000 viewers and the XFL still beat them in 18 to 49. Now, what does this mean? Who cares? Well, a lot of the advertisers care because that is the key demographic for when advertisers decide to um, advertise. And, you know, I know it's been said that the USFL bundles their ads with some of the NFL games, stuff like that. I don't, that's a little too deep in the weeds for me. You know, that may be advantageous to the USFL. So there was an article in The Athletic, I think, that said that the USFL made about 60 some million in advertising in year one that was down to about 40 some million in year two, the XFL was 20 some million in year two. And I mean, if you add up year two, uh, the USFL and XFL, it comes out to roughly about the USFL's ad, ad numbers in, in year one. So what's happening is people aren't saying, okay, now that there's two leagues, I'm going to advertise on both leagues. They're saying, all right, I advertise on USFL year one. I'm going to choose the XFL this year, or I'm going to stay with the USFL. There's not a lot of advertisers seemingly choosing both. Um, So what does that mean for next year? If advertisers now see there is a track record for the XFL in that 18 to 49 demographic. And if advertisers truly care about that, they may be looking at that number and saying, hmm, you know, I'm with the USFL in year two, but looking at these numbers for the XFL, I'm going to move my advertising over there because that's where the key demographic is. So I, I think that was striking to me. And it will be interesting to see what effect that has on advertising in year two for the XFL and year three for the USFL and how those numbers are split next year. Excellent point. And I'm glad that you decided you want to talk about that because anyone that really understands or has any idea that has kind of looked into this know that advertisers, the bulk of advertising is taken care of shortly after upfronts. Anyone that is not aware, the upfronts is where networks pitch to potential advertisers and they let them know what their lineup is for the coming year, the coming, you know, quarter, whatever it might be, right? And that's when advertisers are taking a look at what they have allotted in their budget and where they want to divvy that up based off the content all these networks have. So what does that mean? The XFL kicked off in February, which means they were in the first quarter of the year and they had no data to present as far as what their demographics were, what their ratings were. This number we saw is purely on good faith. Whatever money that was just committed to the Walt Disney companies as far as advertising during these broadcasts was in good faith or based off 2020 numbers. Okay. Good, bad, or ugly, right? I think it's kind of hard to say that 2020 had much weight because we know this is an evolving landscape mm-hmm. and anyone knows it wasn't going to be the same. Anything has shifted one way or another here. So that being said, you talk about that key demographic that is going to bode well 
for the XFL in season two. And I'm not saying this because I'm an XFL show. And I know you're not saying this because you write for XFL board. I know we're seeing this because anybody that really understands how the upfront and the advertising way it goes, I don't have to be in the business, but the more you read, the more you understand, the more I've talked to people, the next upfronts when they go to present the layout of the upcoming lineups, here we go. That's going to bode well for the XFL. That Mm. is not going to bode well for those same companies looking towards the USFL. Now, viewership is viewership, and I know we're always going to talk about those numbers, but as far as advertising dollars, that is where there is some significant potential of a shift. Now, what does that mean, bottom line, for the XFL? Uh, It may mean something really good for them, and it may not because it comes back to what does the contract, that five-year agreement, mean? Are they locked in at a certain dollar amount per year? Is there incentives tied to other things that could increase that? Again, we don't know. We don't have the contract in front of us, but that is not a bad thing, however you want to look at it, right, Greg? I mean, is it fair to say that it can't hurt yeah. them? We don't know what the advertising split is, I don't think, um, in terms of who gets it. Does it go to ESPN? Does it go to the XFL? But either way, it's good because if it goes to the XFL, it's more money in the pocket of ownership. It makes the product more viable. If it goes into the pocket of ESPN, it makes the XFL a more valuable entity for ESPN if they're able to get that money. So either way, it's a good thing for the XFL. Okay. We'll get off the the broadcasting ratings and what it means. Whew. And wipe your brow, whatever, get that sweat. Or <laughs> hopefully more appealing conversation pieces. Over the past week or so, the XFL has announced its rookie draft is on Friday, June 16th, and multiple showcases for this June and July. If there were any thoughts by anyone still out there of there not being a second consecutive season uh, if you haven't already realized it you need to lay it to rest I, I think it's of anything we know that season two is coming because it's clear ownership is committed to moving forward because they're not just going to do showcases and hold drafts just to spend money and for no reason at all unfortunately for you and I we do not have a Florida showcase to attend this year I know you and I were able to uh, you know meet and have conversations with you know Doug Whaley and uh, you know a handful of coaches unfortunately we do not have that particular opportunity this year so I am curious though what your thoughts are of the upcoming draft and the locations of these showcases the showcases uh, they actually seem to to line up pretty well with uh, the uh, American National combines which is a group that the XFL has partnered with and they're sending DPPs to those combines as well. And ANC has run the XFL's showcases in the past. Uh, so it seems to line up pretty well with that. I'm not sure how much of a part that played in the decision about where to hold these showcases. I think if you're the XFL, you probably want to get a pretty good cross-section of the United States, hold one on the West Coast, which they're doing in Arizona, hold one on the East Coast hold one in, you know, somewhere in the middle, you know, so to, just so it's easier for potential players to reach you no matter where they are. Right. So um, I think that's really the two pieces that went into it, that partnering with the ANC and then trying to make it a cross section of the United States. The rookie draft I'm excited about. I'm going to have some um, work on XFL board looking ahead to, to the rookie draft. You know, it's, it's more of that, keeping the XFL in the atmosphere, keeping it as part of the conversation among sports fans and things like that, which I think you really need to do. If you're the XFL, you can't have your season, have your championship, have all that excitement, and then just kind of pull the plug until November's draft or whatever like that. So uh, hopefully it's a continuation even after the rookie draft of more announcements, more partnerships, sponsors, perhaps uh, throughout the summer and into early fall. And, you know, we, we're seeing that the team Twitter accounts are still active at this time and things like that. So that's a good sign as well. But, you know, the, hopefully the rookie draft is just one piece of the, the puzzle of staying in the consciousness of the fans during the offseason. I agree with you, again, on the locations of these showcases. ANC, we've known, has been a big part. They were involved in the showcases before. ANC has been doing this for a while. When the XFL was an entity in 2020, ANC was around. 
when the XFL wasn't an entity in 21, 22, ANC was still around. ANC has been doing these combines, these events for a while. They date all the way back to the early 2000s. The original <laughs> XFL used ANC for some of their events to find tail. I think it's smart by the XFL not to force anything into their own markets, which I know there's been some clamoring for. I've seen okay. people like, well, I just don't understand. Orlando didn't do so well. Why wouldn't you have an event in Orlando trying to help? Well, these are not fan-based events. Right, right. So I don't know what benefit you'd have unless you're going to open up all the fans so everyone's got their phones out showcasing whatever talent is there. I mean, that's the one thing we were told we were in Florida up in Bradenton. They asked us not to really put out there, right? I mean, they were yeah. kind of like, hey, be careful. You know, you know, we got a roster handed to us, and then we were told, hey, don't publish those. <laughs> you recall that? So, I mean, they yeah. are a little worried about who is here, who's participating, and they do have competition. Yeah. So, with that being said, ANC probably knows where they're drawing the best turnout and the best type of talent for these events. So, why wouldn't you lean on them? to give you the best combine for your scouts to assess and hopefully draw from, you know, sign mm-hmm. players from. So, I mean, I agree that, you know, ANC is doing their thing and I am not going to read too much in these locations. Would it be cool to have one in Florida, whether it's the Tampa area or Orlando? Okay. Yeah. It'd be great to rub elbows with you one more time at another showcase, but that's not what it's about. So mm-hmm. looking at that, the draft, I, I love it. I really do. I love the fact that they're going to do one right away. Uh, they are kind of a little bit on, you know, behind the eight ball. The NFL did their draft. The USFL already did their, you know, rookie draft. That doesn't guarantee anything if people haven't signed contracts. And but I mean, anyone that's going to sign an NFL contract is going to go to the NFL. No one's going to hold <laughs> out for the XFL or USFL. Uh, so I, I'm kind of, they didn't really have much of a choice. You know, the season was underway. They kind of had to do it when they had to do it. But I'm kind of, I'm glad that they're still doing it. They're not being like, hey, we're just going to focus on whatever is left over. But the piece that I really like about this is also what they had released in the press release with the announcement of the rookie draft is that the XFL has expanded rosters from 51 players to 90 players mm-hmm. entire offseason. So what do you think of that rule change? And uh, what do you think the overall purpose is? I have my thoughts, but I'll, I'll get your your thoughts first. I think 90 players is a lot uh, for a secondary league like the XFL, especially when you have competition from the USFL, not to mention the CFL. So, you know, what are the quality of players going to be from 85 to 90 on an XFL roster in the offseason? I think that's that's my big question. My guess is that, this was something the coaches wanted. Uh, you have to remember a lot of these coaches have been in the NFL where there's 90-man training camps. And a lot of the drills and a lot of the scrimmages that they run uh, probably are based on having 90 men. And when you only had 70 to 80 per team last year, it's a little bit more difficult. You may want to give your stars a little more rest than you were able to last offseason because you know you, you just needed bodies in there to run 11-on-11 drills or 7-on-7 drills or anything like that. So you know, I, I'm guessing this came from the coaches, <laughs> not so much the personnel teams, but I think it's also, you know, wanting to get as much of that talent as possible. You know, it's hoarding talent. It's keeping them. If you have guys in training camp, those are guys not going to the USFL at least right away. And you're getting the first look at them. And, you know, that did that play a part? It maybe it did. But, you know, you've got to understand now that the XFL has... 51 man rosters for the regular season. The off season roster is going to include players who were on injured reserve, uh, ended the season in injured reserve. So, you know, five to 10 per team, probably that gets you up to 60. Um, and then you're going to have the rookie draft. We don't know how many rounds, but let's say seven to 10, that gets you up to 70. Uh, we don't know what the NFL alumni association deal is going to be with the XFL. I mean, if if it's something similar, that's going to be, what, 80? And that's that's not counting the November draft that you're going to have and a potential supplemental draft at the beginning of 2024. So when now you take all that into account, all of a sudden 90 sounds pretty doable. 
I first looked at this, I was like, they're hoarding talent. But then I also started to think, I'm like, well, the USFL is already underway. I can't imagine there's a lot of players. I understand the XFL still signing players throughout the season. I know the USFL is going to, I can't imagine that's a lot of players. But if you're tying up players, you can stop X amount of players from even considering that opportunity with the USFL. The Canadian Football League has already started their preseason. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm not saying that people still can't sign and people still can't be released. And I'm thinking, okay, so the bulk of that is pretty much taken care of on those two leagues front. Other leagues around the world, aside from the National Football League, I don't think those are the desired locations. So I can't imagine you'd really have to be worried about anybody else. So I tried to be thinking, all right, well, we know guys are going to the NFL, right? They're going to participate in these camps. Some guys already signed deals, but it doesn't mean they're going to stay. Well, if they get released after sign, my understanding is that now they're a free agent. Yeah. So if they're going on a trial and they don't latch on, they're still under contract with the XFL. Okay. So we have a kind of a mix there, but if these guys, notable like guys like Ben DiNucci and whatnot, decide to not come back. All right. That does start to free up some roster spots and you start, you're trying to be prepared for that. But what I'm thinking is if you just increase it to 90 and somebody's going to sign these contracts, there's got to be some pay tied to this. This is going to cost them some money. Who's going to oh, sign yeah. this deal to, to lock them in from playing anywhere else? You know, if the USFL is playing right now, the Canadian Football League is playing right now, and there's that opportunity, you're going to be paying them if, if they're going to sign that contract to be part of that 90. So here is a little bit more commitment, financial commitment. This tells you where the league is headed, right? Their balance sheets can't be too bad or they're considering spending more money. I guess it's anything in a startup. You still always have to spend money. I get it. But it's not so scary that they're afraid to open the coffers a little bit more, so to speak. Two, I think there's going to be a little bit more of an off-season workout regiment here. We don't have to see it. You're not going to just sign these people. You're not going to just start paying them. You're going to also expect them to be involved somewhat. So I'm kind of curious as to what that would look like and how involved that's going to be. We have a long off season and I don't want to speculate too much. I just have a feeling we're going to learn some more. There's more news on the horizon of what that could look like. And I, I know I just kind of threw some things at you. So by all means, mm-hmm. share your thoughts on what I just said. Yeah, I'm not sure about that that pay um, in the off season, and and we'll learn more because I think Doug Whaley and Russ Gilio are going to be on in, um, inside the league Neil Stratton's um, deal this Wednesday night. They're going to have um, a Zoom meeting with agents, kind of give them the lowdown on the rookie rookie draft. I think it's going to be more like what the USFL draft was, where you're drafting their rights. So, for example, you're drafting so and so in the first round of the rookie draft. What that does is that guarantees them a spot on the XFL offseason roster. It doesn't mean they're getting paid in the offseason, but what it does is it gives them a spot in camp. So they can go to the NFL. You know, they haven't signed a contract with the XFL yet, so they can go to the NFL, maybe sign a letter of intent with with the XFL, um, which may prevent them from going to the USFL, say. Um, But they can go to the NFL. They, you know, if they get signed in August to finish out camp with an NFL team. And, you know, if they are a still not locked into an NFL contract by the time 2024 rolls around, then they would be going to camp with that team in the XFL. So I don't think it necessarily means pay during the offseason. It just means the Houston Roughnecks have the rights to this guy if he's not in the NFL. And a lot of these guys that are drafted, you know, if they're not on a team heading into training camp, they're probably not going to be like on NFL rosters or even practice squads in the fall. So they probably will be available for the XFL uh, next year. They might be signed as a training camp body when injuries inevitably hit, when teams cycle through their roster in training camp, you might get some of these guys who tried out with NFL teams at mini camp, but didn't sign, you know, they might be on a callback list, you know, if they need somebody to fill in for an injured player or something like that. But I would assume most of them would be cut down uh, at the end of training camp and be available for the XFL. So I think that's more of, of what they're looking at. But again, hopefully the information from that Zoom meeting this Wednesday is released and we get a better feel for a lot of the details about what this rookie draft is going to encompass. I usually agree 
and I'm not saying I completely disagree here. I'm not trying to say that. So this is this is good. It's good dialogue, right? Everyone's like, well, if you always agree, then why bring somebody on? Just tell us what you think. The reason why I think there's got to be a little bit more to this. I don't know anything. So listen, it's not like I've talked to anybody. I haven't read anything. Okay. I just can't imagine who's being drafted this time around is really in consideration for the National Football League moving forward. I, I think that draft, those those free agents for the bulk, that's been shored up for everything. Mm-hmm. These mini camps, OTAs, all this stuff. Yep. It's, right, I think that's pretty shored up. I agree. So I think if you get drafted, okay, that team would own your rights within the XFL. That doesn't necessarily mean anything by being drafted elsewhere. So to sign that letter of intent or some form of a contract that guarantees that if you're not with the National Football League team, that you're going to be with the XFL team, if I'm a player, it's nice to have a possibility when camp opens up, if we're not doing anything now, I'm not getting paid mm-hmm. right now. But why would I, why would I cut myself off from any possibility of latching on with a USFL team or a CFL team? If that somebody comes knocking just to sign a letter of intent, there's gotta be something more there. If you're going to expand these rosters, because a draft pick just doesn't automatically put you on a roster. Technically, right. to be rostered, you had to be a, co- a player on contract. So if you're really going to expand that roster of 90 players, there's got to be some sort of contract. And with a contract of sorts that locks you in from going elsewhere, I would have to assume there'd be some sort of monetary value to it. Maybe not a normal contract because we see these guys get game checks and win bonuses and stuff. I'm just intrigued. I, again, don't know anything, but that's where I'm like, I'm kind of disagreeing because I can't imagine I'd give up any opportunity for the CFL or USFL if somebody came knocking right now to make money today and make more tape so I could still get a call potentially last minute into a, an NFL camp. So June 16th. Okay, so the USFL is in what, week seven right now? So you figure they're ending their season by the time June 16 rolls around. Uh, their regular season. So the the idea that some of these players would get picked up by the USFL for the regular for the rest of the season is pretty pretty slim, I think, at that point. So I don't really know that. I don't think the USFL, and I know that I know that the USFL between season one and season two signed a lot of players, but I don't think they were getting paid during the off season. So you would be in the same situation you would be if you were drafted by the XFL. So um, CFL not for everybody. You know, the right. CFL has very limited roster spots for American players. There's a, I, I'm pretty sure there's a certain amount of Canadian players you have to have. So uh, it's not like going to the CFL is guaranteed. Some people probably prefer to stay in America. And, and uh, I think the XFL and USFL are still, if you're a player looking to get into the NFL, uh, they're the best ways to do so, uh, more so than the CFL, even though, you know, CFL has a, a pretty good level of competition. So I'm not really sure that there is that draw from the CFL for some of these players. We have seen, you know, I've started kind of doing a little bit of research into, into some of these players. Um, and there have been some who were in these rookie mini camps who did not sign with an NFL team who have signed with the CFL. Uh, Adam Corsak, punter from Rutgers, Logan Bonner, quarterback from Utah State. These two would be, I would assume, two of the higher ranked players on XFL team boards were they available in this upcoming draft? And they've signed with CFL teams, so they are off the board for these XFL teams. So it is happening, what you're talking about. They, they are signing with CFL teams, but I think by June 16th, these players would have made a decision already. Either a USFL team wanted me and I signed with them, a CFL team wanted me and I signed with them. If they haven't done any of that yet, they're in the XFL pool, and I, I think the XFL is probably their best shot, save for getting an opportunity in the NFL preseason. All fair, all fair. Well, Greg, I'm not going to get into too much more of the XFL weeds with you. I know you, we had talked. you got a couple of things to do, so I, I gave you a break. I'm not going <laughs> to give you the day off. So you got to Thank go, you. Go, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that, but uh, yeah, a, a break was nice. <laughs> well, as always, it's, it's a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time to return to the show and this time discuss your, you know, your article 
on the mm-hmm. XL broadcasting ratings and whatnot. And, you know, so it's always a pleasure and thank you for, for taking the time. Absolutely. Good discussion. Thanks for having me, Mike. You're welcome. So, you know, we've had a whole season. I picked up some new listeners along the way. Mm-hmm. So they probably are not familiar with where your work hundred percent is, or where can they find it? So go ahead, throw, throw out where your work is, your social media handles, all that good stuff. Great. Thank you. Um, I write for xflboard.com um, and the off season for the XFL does not mean an off season for content. And uh, I just put out last week, my last season summary. I did a season summary for all eight XFL teams, looking at what went right, what went wrong, uh, offensive, defensive, special teams, MVP, looked at the potential hot seat that their head coach might be on. I did that for all eight teams. So um, those are all in the can. You can, you can see those. Uh, obviously, the ratings article is up on XFL board. I'm actually starting to write now. I've, I've already written three of them. They haven't been posted yet. They'll be posted starting next week. But I look back at November's draft, the first XFL draft, and I took a look at each phase and see what teams were most successful in each phase based on the contributions they got from the players selected in that phase in 2023. So I'm going to be doing that's going to be a five part article for each five of the phases. And then I'll have some content coming out about the rookie draft as well later on in June. So just really excited about a lot of the content we have coming up uh, in the off season at XFL board. You can follow me on Twitter at Greg M parks. Perfect. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. As always, we are fortunate to have Greg on the show. His contributions with XFL board are top notch and a must read for XFL fans without getting into the league, expanding rosters for the off season too deep with him. I will share a bit more as to why I believe owning a player's XFL rights only is not what the league could have in mind. As I had discussed with Greg, the Canadian Football League and USFL are part of the concern. However, there's more in the works. Major League Football continues to lurk and has a desire to relaunch. Yet, perhaps a more concerning development for the XFL could be the formation of the International Football Alliance. For those who are not aware, The IFA held a press conference on May 15th and announced its plans to kick off in 2024. The league plans to have three teams in Mexico and three teams in Texas. Team rosters will have 53 players and seven practice squad players. Teams' only limitation is a maximum of 20 American players, which would likely provide opportunities for 120 players who the XFL could be interested in. The IFA claims it will provide its players with a professional wage to ensure they can focus 100% of their time on football and not have to earn a living by supplementing income with other jobs. Before anyone disregards the IFA, here are a few of the notable people associated with them. Coach Hal Mummy is a member of its operations staff. Coach Noel Mazon is a member of the operations staff. Former New Orleans Saints wide receiver Mike Lewis is a member of its operations staff. And Coach John Jenkins' role is uncertain. I understand this is another startup. Yet we are living during a time where American football, gridiron football, whatever you want to call it, is growing at an incredible rate worldwide. Leagues and teams are popping up everywhere. Like others, I imagine the XFL are aware of this and its competition. Therefore, I would not be surprised if the league is taking measures to protect itself and its position within the football ecosystem. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform of choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, Do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers.
Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.